0: We're in Psalms 139 this morning. In the Bible, the Bible starts off with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God began to strategically turn the light on on day one, separate the waters from the waters, day two, make uh, dry land appear, and the plant life, and all of that, day three. Day four, he made the sun, moon, and the stars. Day five, he made the fish that swim, the birds that fly, and day six, he made the animal kingdom, and then he made... Man in his image with a body, soul, and a spirit. Adam. He quickly gave Adam three things, as I mentioned before. He gave him responsibility to dress and keep the garden. Then he said, all right, now listen, there's one tree in the garden. You can enjoy all the things that are there in the garden, every plant, every, the raspberries and the, the bananas and the apples and whatever fruit I've made. You can have anything, but there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You are not allowed to eat that. He gave him a rule. Some of us don't like rules. There's a restaurant out back, no rules, just right. And that's because it came from Australia and they're a penal colony that was started there. They don't want any rules, right? But God gave us rules. There are certain things you do, certain things you don't do. He gave him a rule, he gave him a relationship, and then he gave him a relationship, excuse me, a, a responsibility, rules, and then a relationship with God. And then he presented him with his helpmate, Eve. And relationships demand responsibilities. They demand rules and demand work. And uh, it's not easy. You work on your relationships, your relationships will work. You stop working on them, and they will stop working, and we've got challenges there. However, after this time, chapter 3, Satan comes into the picture, and he begins to work on dividing the relationship between Adam and Eve and God. Prior to Satan coming in, they would look forward to the coming of The voice of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, would walk with them in the cool of the day. They anticipated it. While he was clipping, clipping banana leaves and checking the lion's ears and doing all the things he was doing, he said, I can't wait till tonight when I get to be with God, when we get to walk and we get to enjoy after a day of labor to be able to spend time with him. Boy, would to God that we all had that anticipation in our own heart. I can't wait till I can spend time with the Lord. However, Satan came in and he began to tempt Eve. And he tried, number one, he cast doubt upon the word of God. What God said. He said, yea, hath God said. Satan always does that. He is the sinister minister of doubt, discouragement, division. That's That's his game plan. He sows discord among the brethren. He sows doubt upon what God said. We've mentioned this recently, but whenever John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the River Jordan, when he came out of the River Jordan and he came up from being baptized, the Bible says the heavens opened and the Shekinah glory of God appeared on Jesus just as obvious as a bird would have flown off a branch and landed on his head. Everyone saw it. Something just happened to Jesus visibly. Secondly, the word of God came from heaven. His father spoke. And you know what he gave his son? Acceptance and affirmation. That's something every father should give to their children. Acceptance and affirmation. He said, this is my beloved son, in whom I am. Right a quick, he gave him, he gave the Lord Jesus, his son, acceptance and affirmation. If you fast forward to the next chapter of God's word, you'll find that Satan opens his big mouth, and here's what he says. If thou be the son of God. His father said, this is my beloved son. Satan says, if you are his son. You'll find that any time that you hear God's word, or you read God's word, or God ministers to you, you're going to find Satan is going to raise his ugly, doubtful voice to what God said. It's just the way he works. And he casts doubt on God's word. He casts doubt on God's goodness. He casts doubt on God's righteousness. Will the God of all the earth do what is right? God says he is. He will do the right thing. Have you ever wondered why is it in a world that's so confused and so squirrely and so challenged by sin and degradation, when is it going to stop? It's going to stop. One day it will be stopped, and it will be stopped by the God of heaven. However, we wonder, if God is good, then why did this bad thing happen to me? Why is this happening? And we try to reason in our own mind that. And we play right into Satan's hand to think that God is not good, he cannot be trusted, he is not righteous, and he is not gracious. Those are all the things that Satan, when he first started tempting the first two individuals, Adam and Eve, and successfully so, he continues to do that today. He is, he's very experienced. He has 6,000 years almost of experience. If you did something for 6,000 years, you'd be pretty good at it. He's really good at it. And he gets me sometimes, and he gets you sometimes with those very same things. He gets you when you're young. He gets you when you're old. You can be saved for five minutes or 50 years, and you can still have issues with doubt and discouragement and division and discord. All the things that Satan does. And we certainly find that's the case here. But we find also that all through the Bible, God displays who he is. See, our opinion of God determines our effectiveness for him. Your opinion of God and what you know determines your faith in him. And what we know about God is very important. People say, you know, I've got a God, it's a doorknob. Well, bless your heart. But that's sad. People have a God of their own imaginations. I sat with a man yesterday and was so blessed, but he was telling me about all that he believed. And what he believed did not coincide with the scriptures at all. Matter of fact, you'd have to be really creative to come up. And I said, why do you believe that? He said, well, you know, I was taught that when I was a kid. And because faith cometh by, even if you hear the wrong thing, you can get a bad faith. You can get faith in a substance that's not necessarily real. And that's why we need to hear the right things and understand the right things about God. So God describes himself. In the Bible, there is a man that the Bible says about him, he was a man after God's own heart. He knew how God thought, he knew how God felt, and he knew what God wanted. You know his name. What is the man that was given that title? He is also the author of many of the Psalms in the book of Psalms, and I believe he's the author of this particular one. Very quickly, we have just a few moments, but I wanna share with you some things that help us counteract the lies of Satan about is God good, is he right, Can he be trusted? Is he gracious? God says all of those things are in the affirmative. Yes. Yes, he is good. He can be trusted. He is right. He's never made a mistake. And he is gracious to us. Some of you, you're in this room, you're even saved, you're going to heaven and you're not so sure about those things. You're not so sure you can trust God. You're not so sure he is a good God. You're not sure what he says really he'll do. And, and it's not, I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. I'm just saying that's true. We have fallen prey to satanic lies that we can't trust God. But in Psalm 139, there are several things that God says about himself. Let's look at it together. You'll need your Bible this morning. Are you there? Psalm 139, verse number 1. Here's what the Bible says. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down sitting. You know my trials when I've been knocked on my backside. And mine... Uprising. When I've done really good, when I've had my triumphs, you understand my thoughts afar off. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. So he says, "I know your, I know your trials. I know your triumphs. I know your thoughts. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways." He said, "You know my trip. You know my journey. Uh, you, you know where I've been and what, what I've gone through. When I was six. When I was sixteen. When I was 13 you know where I lived. You know how people treated me. You know what, what I learned and what, I, what I, my fears are. You know how I've gone through this trip. And that's what the Bible says. He says, you know my trials. You know my triumphs. You know my thoughts. afar so off, nothing can go past. My mother uh, one time said, son, your hair is so thick, Moses couldn't part it. <laughs> but, but my hair is not too thick for God to see right through it. He knows exactly what I'm thinking. He knows what you're thinking. And he says, I know your trip. I know your pathway. What's the next thing he says he knows in verse number four? For there is not a word in my tongue. He knows what I've said. He knows my tongue. But lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. He said, you've been in front of me, God, and you've been behind me. And you've held my hand through this journey. How many would say, Pastor, I believe that about God. You know what the psalmist is saying? God is omniscient. He knows everything. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurred to God? <laughs> hey, there's nothing he doesn't know. He's saying here, everything about you, God knows you. He knows what's happening in White House. He knows what's happened in, in, uh, in China. He knows what's happened in Moscow. He knows what's happened everywhere. There is nothing that God does not know. He says, I know everything about you. And that's what The psalmist is telling us about our God. He's omniscient. He knows everything. Let's continue reading, can we please? The next thing the Bible says, in verse number six, read it out loud. This is a beautiful verse. Such knowledge is too, it is high. Can I say that in today's vernacular? It blows his mind. (laughs) He's like, are you kidding me? He goes, such knowledge. The fact that God knows everything about me blows my mind. It's too high. I can't get my head around all that God knows, and you can't. Verse number seven, let's look at it if we can, please. Whether shall I go from thy spirit and whether shall I flee from thy presence? He says, now where can I go to get away from you? If I ascend to the heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. He says, if I I go into the atmosphere and take off on a, a jet plane, Or a a, a rocket ship, you're you're there. If I go into the earth, another word for hell is Sheol, which is the grave or the ground. If I dive deep into the earth, he's there. Look, if you would please, at the next verse, the Bible says, verse 9, If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, if I can find the bottom of the ocean, God's there. If I go uh, where I can't be seen again, God's there. Verse 8, verse 10. Even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, I can get into a dark place, and then he won't be with me. Even the night shall be bright light about me. Verse number 12, read it with me, would you please? Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The Bible tells us not only does God know me, but he's with me. I can't get away from him. You can say, well, I'm going to go where I can't get, where God doesn't, not with me. You can't find a place like that. The earth is the Lord, the fullness of the world, and all they that dwells in it. So God is here. He said, well, I'm going to go where he's not. The only place he's not going to be is the lake of fire. It's the only place I know he's not going to be, and that's by choice. He says, I'll cast them out of his presence. He's not going to be there. By the way, if you're here today and you're not sure if you were to have eternal life, eternal life is eternal life with God. But God says, number one, I'm omniscient. I know everything about you. Number two, I'm every place. I'm omnipresent. You can't get away from my presence. I love that about God. I'm glad that he knows me and he's with me. He's with me on my good days and my bad days. He's with me when I'm crying by myself. He's with me when I'm happy after a win. He's there. He said, wherever you go, John, I'm going to be with you. The presence of God is a beautiful thing. So we learn learn the first thing God says, he's omniscient. Number two, he's omnipresent, he's everywhere. Let's continue reading and see what the psalmist says. Can we look at that real quickly? Verse number 13. For thou possessest my reins. The word reins is not necessarily the same thought as reins on a horse that would turn him right or left, but it has that same, uh, somewhat that same meaning. He controls things. It's the inner organs or the inner beings of a person. He said, Lord, you know what's on the inside of me. Samuel heard it this way. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh upon the... He said, you know what's on the inside. You possess, you own my my inner beings. Look at the rest of the verse, if you would please. Verse 13. Have covered me in my mother's womb. Read verse 14. A great verse to underline in your Bible. You ready? I will bless, I will praise him, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh, you say, Pastor, I don't like the way God made me. You're made very special, and you're uniquely made, and he made you. He said, I am fearfully and wonderfully marvelous as the way God made me, and, I am, and I'm, I'm convinced of that. I've got that. I'm okay with that. But there will be a good day in your life when you understood. There are things about us we can't change that we can fix. If your teeth are crooked, you can go to an orthodontist. Remember, I got braces when I was 30 years old. I remember my dad looking at me and saying, John, I wish I could afford braces for you. It's like your dad looking at you and saying, you're sure ugly. <laughs> <laughs> my teeth are so crooked. I used to sing all I want for Christmas is one straight tooth. You know, it was really bad. Really hard being me. <laughs> Oh, but, but, my, my, but I, got, I got it fixed. My wife got tired of looking at me and said, we're going to work this out, John. It's only 80 bucks a month for, for two years. Let's fix this, okay? And so I thank the Lord for that. If the barn needs painting girls, we'll paint it. It's okay. If there's something you can fix, if you're a little overweight, we'll figure it out. If we're overweight, we know why, right? There's usually a reason for that. We have to work on that. So there are certain things we can do about it, but the truth of the matter is, God has given you, he's he's hardwired you with strengths that he wants to use for God's glory. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Just the fact that you can see me and I can see you, you can hear me. There's a few deaf that can't hear me, but the communication, the fact that we can connect the dots that so many things, that, you know, if you knew what was happening to you right this very moment, chemistry and physics and all the things that was happening, you wouldn't want to move. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff happening inside of you. You've got a heart that's been beaten since you've been alive, and you haven't given it any maintenance, except for just hope it keeps beating. Your pancreas, your, your liver, a lot of things going on inside of you. And you know who made all that? God did. He said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And we see God's omnipotence. He can do anything. There's nothing more amazing than the human body. God made the Grand Canyon and he made the stars, but he didn't die for the stars. He died for you. You are his pristine creation. The Bible says that he's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. he's he's, he's He's omniscient. He knows everything. Look, if you would please, and let's keep going. Verse number 15, my substance was not hid from thee. When I was wrought in secret, made in secret, or curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, thine eyes did see my substance, and yet being imperfect, in embryonic, they were, they were embryos, and I was a little. But all my members were written, and the continuance were fashioned, when, uh, as of yet, there's none of them. So we find that God is omniscient, he's omnipresent, and he's omnipotent. He can do anything, even make he made you. So he knows us, he's with us, and he made us. Now look, if you would please, at the next verse, verse 17. You're doing good, and I thank you for following along. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Could you read verse 18? If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. I want to just look at 17 and 18. The Bible says with God's knowledge of who I am and who you are, that he is with us, that he made us. The beautiful thing about God is that he loves us. Years ago, I kept following this girl around at Howells Anderson College from Massachusetts. Everywhere she'd go, I wanted to be with her, where her. I just followed around until she caught me. She must have been so tired because she was running through my mind all day. I loved Linda, but I hadn't told her I loved her yet. And I wasn't going to tell her until I was convinced I knew what love was. And I was going to, I was going to tell her one day, but I wasn't ready to do it yet. But she was ready to hear it from me. So she got a little manipulative, started working with some of my friends said, yeah, John." Linda doesn't even think you like her, much less love her. I said, what? Oh, I was getting all tore up. So I remember the Bible verse, in a multitude of counselors there is safety. I think also in a multitude of counselors, there is confusion. <laughs> if you keep asking too many people, you get really confused and squirrely in your mind. Well, I went to people and said, how do you know if you're in love, you know? And one guy said, would you die for her? I said, what? Die? I mean, I love her. I don't know if I'm ready to die right now. <laughs> oh, they were giving me this thing, and how they felt like if you loved one, you would do this and this. And I was confused as a termite in a yo-yo when it was all over. But one thing I did figure out is I thought about Linda when I was driving my truck at RPS. I, I thought about Linda when I was in church ed. It's easy to think about anything else but church ed when you're in church ed. I was in chapel thinking about Linda. I was in the auditorium across the way, listening to Brother Hiles preach thinking about Linda. I just kept thinking about her all the time. And the more I got to know her, the more I thought about her, and the more I knew that she was the one for me. You know, the Bible says with God's knowledge of who we are, where where he is, he's never going to be without us and that he made us, he still loves us. This morning, I asked one of our men to go down to Lake Michigan and get some sand off of Lake Michigan's uh, beach. We brought a lot more than this, but I got this one little thing, sand. It's one of the smallest little things that you could imagine, small, and it's just... And God says, listen, you want to know how much I love you? I think about you all the time. More than the sand that could be numbered, I've got one little vask of sand here. I I think I'd go crazy if someone asked me to count every piece of sand in my hand, much less this whole thing, or the world. He said, you want to know how much I love you? Start counting sand. Every one of those little things is how much I think about you. My thoughts are more than can be numbered. God loves you. He made you. He knows you. He's with you. And he loves you. His thoughts are numerous. He says, we're poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh about us. Dear friends, that's a wonderful truth. But it's not the so what of the passage. After David and the psalmist, if it wasn't David, said, oh man, God is good. He does know. He's with me. He made me. He loves me. Then he said, well, let me tell you what I'm going to do because I know that. Number one, I am going to separate from anybody who doesn't love him. He said, if I find people that are going against God, I'm going to go go a different direction. He uses strong terms in this passage. I hate them with a perfect hatred. I think it's the same kind of hate that God hates. He doesn't hate you, but he hates sin. And anybody going in a different direction goes, you know, I, if that's, what they, if that's what, how they feel about that's their business, I'm going to get away from that. It speaks to biblical separation. I think someone's understanding of God determines who they want to be with, where they want to be, what they want to do. When you know how much God loves you, it's natural for us to reciprocate that love. My wife loves me, it makes me want to love her back. God loves me. It makes me want to love him back. And if I love him back, one of the things I'm going to do, the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, love not the, neither the things that are. If any man loves the, the world, the love of what? Is not in him. So you can't say, I love God and love the world at the same time. There has to be a separation. There has to be distance created between the godly Christian and someone who is not godly, who's not going the same way. We live on the same planet. We love each other. We love everybody. There's no one I can think that I, that I should not love, and I do not love. God wants me to do that. But do I need to, to fellowship with everybody? He says, no, because it's based upon what I know about God, that he, that he knows me, he's with me, he made me, he loves me so much. Well, then I'm going to separate from those who are counterproductive to that relationship. The Bible says in Proverbs, through desire, a man having separated himself, seeketh in the middle with all wisdom. You want to be a wise person, you have to separate from things counterproductive to that. Before Abraham could have the miracle of of surrender, when he offered Isaac in, in, in Genesis 22, he had to get rid of Ishmael. He had to let go of someone before he could get surrendered to the God's will to do something that was this out of the box. You'll never find devoted Christians who have not separated from things that are counterproductive. And you will not separate until you understand the God of the Bible, that he knows, he's with you, he made you, and he loves you. No one will ever experience God's greatness working in their life until they're convinced of God's goodness in their life. If you're not convinced God loves you, you're going to have a very hard time serving him effectively and with freedom. The second thing, and our time is up, but the second thing the psalmist said, after he said, okay, I'm if he loves me that much, if, if I am on his mind all the time as the sands of the sea, then I'm going to separate from, from people and situations that are counterproductive to that relationship I have with him, that love relationship. Number two, he says, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thinking, my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. He said, Lord, I'm going to let you now have full access to my heart. You can go through every room of this house. Now listen, friends. We don't let just anybody have access to every room and closet and drawer in our homes, would you? No. I mean, you might invite people in your front room or the dining room, but you wouldn't say, oh, yeah, just go wherever wherever you want in the house. It's fine. You wouldn't do that. That would be like, are you kidding me? No. The only way you would do that is you fully trusted someone. If you trusted them, you would say, okay, you can take a flashlight and you can open up any drawer you want, any situation, you can look in any closet, and if you see something's wrong, tell me I'll change it. That's repentance, that's, that's acknowledgement of sin. You know, God already knows our sin. Why are we trying to cover it? We ought to take it to him and say, Lord, if there's something wrong, just fix it. You can show me and I'll repent. And then the last thing the Bible says, and lead me in the way that's everlasting. God made you for eternity. You're gonna spend the rest of your existence there. And he says, Lord, if, since you know me, you with me, you made me, and you love me, then I'm going to separate from things and people I should not be with. I am going to let you have uncensored access to my heart and my life. If there's something you don't like, if you don't like that on my phone, I'll get rid of it. If you don't like that particular sin I'm doing, that thought I have, then you can have it. You put a light on it, and I'll change it. And then, Lord, lead me in the way that's everlasting. You ought to be concerned about the day you stand before God and what your life's going to be like in 2,000 years from now. Not just the next 20 minutes, but the next 2,000, 2 million, 2 billion years. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures, in." that's where he lives. That's eternal life. You ought to, might, might want to consider, listen, not what's what I like and what I think today, but what is best for me eternally? And let God lead you into a way that's everlasting. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure I have eternal life. That's where I was one time. I was sitting in this section of a church, smaller than this, but over here in this section when someone asked me, John, do you know for sure when you die, you go to heaven? Do you know for sure your sins are forgiven? Have you been reconciled to God? Because Jesus has the answer to sin, to the law, and to death. No one else in the world has the answer to that. They took the Bible and showed me how I could know for sure that my my sins are forgiven and that I have eternal life. Do you have eternal life? Only God can give that to you. If you're here and you don't know that, this is your great day. You can find that out right now. If you say, Pastor, I'm already saved then you ought to be saying, God, I trust you to lead me in a way that's most beneficial for me, not just now, but for everlasting life. God wants you to have a good eternity. And we have, a, we have eternal life when we believe and receive Jesus. We have a good eternal life and a better eternal life as we learn to let God lead us. But you'll never let someone lead you that you do not trust. If you don't trust him, he will not lead you, you'll not let him. He's a perfect leader. If we're not successful, it's not because of his leadership, it's because of our followership. But if we don't trust that he knows us, he made us, he's with us, he loves us, we will not separate. We will not let him search us, and we will not uh, let him lead us. But I want you to let God lead you, and God does too, and I want him to lead me.